0: We are leaning into the the book of Revelation, the first several chapters, uh, right up until springtime almost, right up until March. We are reading Revelation because in its opening pages are these two very significant statements. The first one is this, blessed... Or blessed. Blessed are those who read, hear, and heed these words. How many want to be blessed? Yeah. So we're gonna read and hear and heed these together. The second statement is this: if you have ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches this morning we're going to pick it up in uh, chapter 2. I'll, let me just read the the entirety of the passage and then we'll come back and walk through it together are you ready and I'll explain a little bit if you weren't here last week or you need to catch up don't worry I'll, I'll try to get us all caught up here revelation the book of revelation chapter two To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you have found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary but I have this against you that you have left your first love therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place Unless you repent. Hey. Brenda back all the way up to the beginning. OK. I'll I'll walk through the PowerPoint with him. But back all the way up to the opening slide. OK. Verse six. Yet this you do have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear. Let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes. I will grant to eat of the tree of life. Which is in the paradise of of God. Amen. Now listen, we just we just read and heard those words. So we are two thirds into the being blessed already. All right. Now comes the heeding. You ready to heed these words? All right. Let's talk about it a little bit. In uh in last week, when we looked at chapter one, we saw this that this is the book of the Revelation. Would you say the revelation? Now, just to humor, enter, humor me and entertain me a little bit, let's make sure that we're not putting an S on the end of that. Now, that's more than just my pickiness. Uh, revelations would mean there are several, but this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. Just the one. We got just the one Jesus, okay? If this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This book is from him and about him. Would you say it out loud with me from him and about him? him and him. And, And in this book, John, the Apostle John, describes his vision of the exalted Christ who came to him on the Isle of Patmos with a message to the churches. He sees Christ in chapter one. He sees Christ among seven lampstands, which we are told are seven churches. These are seven literal churches, but the letter is written so that each church would read the whole thing, right? As such, what is said to one is read and heard by all. And if it's read and heard by them, it should be read and heard by us. The blessing of reading this is for all who read it, for all who hear it, and for all who will heed these words. So just as they read it and heard it, And heeded it, heard it, and heeded it. So too will we hear it and heed it. You give it a whirl sometime. As we consider the message, we must remember or keep in mind the messenger. John went out of his way to record the that it wasn't. He just didn't receive a message, but he, well, he fell over nearly dead at the sight of the messenger. This is Jesus Christ, the living one who died and who is alive forevermore. Amen. This one who is the son of man and the ancient of days, the exalted Christ who has all glory, all dominion forever, and who walks among the lampstands. Hallelujah. He is among us, Would you say it with me one more time? He is among us and he has something to say. So we listened carefully and I, I, I'm going to ask you to as this week and in the, in the weeks ahead. I'm going to ask you to listen carefully to what Jesus says. Listen to what he emphasizes and affirms and corrects. And maybe even pay attention to what he does not mention. I don't want us to miss the the the, the leverage here, the nuance, the uniqueness. I, I spent time on it last week, but I want to remember the idea that what we are getting is a message from Jesus post-resurrection, post-Pentecost. After his church has made churches, after his church has been around for a few decades, Jesus is checking in. So... Wow, the boss is checking in, and here's what he has to say. Are you feeling that with me? Try to feel that. In other words, this is not just one more person's opinion about church. This is the boss talking. Pay attention to what matters to him, what he's looking for, and what he doesn't even mention. Let me give you a little bit of a clue. Jesus will mention absolutely nothing about strategies. He'll mention nothing about vision statements. He won't even bring up our programs. He won't encourage us to be more seeker friendly. He won't encourage us at all to be more accommodating to our culture. And he won't nudge us to struggle to be more relevant. In fact, what seems to be most important to Christ is his own presence. And our love for him. And our attitude towards sin. And the fact that we are faithful and that we finish well. You ready? Ready? That he who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. What he has to say to the church at Ephesus, I've summarized as with these three words. Return to love. Would you all say return to love? love. Okay, this is in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, which we already read. It begins with verse 2 here. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write... Now, Ephesus was a major city, It was a large and influential city. Remember, these seven churches are on the the western part of what is now modern Turkey, and they form kind of a a, a kind of a circle, but a chronological circle. They're listed in order. Ephesus is first, probably because it's the largest and most influential, but also because, quite likely, uh, Ephesus is where the the rest of these churches were birthed out from. Ephesus, Ephesus would have been the mother church, the sending church. That's good. Now, that's important. We read this in context. So Jesus is talking to the first church, the sending church, the mother church. We could argue that this church is the one who's primarily responsible for, for initiating and sustaining the culture of the church. So we should listen carefully to what he's about to say. Amen. From the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, these seven stars, he holds them in his right hand. We are told already that these stars are the angels of the churches. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I, I understand that any more completely than you do, but it's there. And I do know that some commentators say, well, the word angel and the word messenger are the same. So maybe these are just messengers that John is writing to a courier. And the courier is going to take these messages to the different churches. Now, while that may be practically true, the, the, the word angel is used time and again in the book of Revelation and only means angel. So we're, we, we, are, we are better off going, whoa, what is that? We are better off embracing a mystery than reducing it to something that is more palatable to us. So the mystery seems to be this. It's kind of a Mufasa moment here, but the mystery seems to be that he's talking to actual angels. And Hebrews Hebrews chapter eleven, uh, chapter one, verse fourteen says that he has he has made in angels ministering spirits who render service to those who inherit salvation. So the idea is that that. Whether, no matter how, how you feel about it or whatever, that heaven, heaven actually does assign angels and they're very present and they're very immediate to both believers and to churches. And, it, and this is the idea that, he's, that whatever, whatever the mystery is, that there is an angel who apparently is a, repre- a representative of the church. That what, he's, what he says to this angel, he says to the church. OK. But he holds. So these. So the idea is you shouldn't separate him speaking to the church and to the angel. Well, not that the church is an angel. Because <laughs> he says he holds them in his. He holds them in his hand. These that represent the church. He that word holds means to grasp tightly. You, the church, are held. You are grasped tightly in the hand of Christ. You need to see yourself not functioning independently, isolated, wandering out there. But you, I'll say if, if it's true for Ephesus, it's true for heritage. You, we are held and grasped tightly in the right hand of the master. This is his church. We are held onto by him and we are held together by him. We are guided by him. We are governed by him. This church is his. It is not ours. And in my own notes I wrote so I could see it, not mine. he says again to Ephesus, essentially from from the one who holds these stars and from the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Friends, uh, hermeneutics would tell us we have to pay attention. This is the fourth time these lampstands are mentioned. This is not incidental or accidental. He's wanting us to pay attention. And we've already read that the lampstands are brought up at again at the end of this letter, at the end of this message to Ephesus. So right away, he's wanting us to understand this idea, this concept of the lampstand. This says something, friends, this says something. The fact that he calls us these a lampstand says something about who we are and who we are not. I want you to understand that our function is like, like a lampstand is is through, throughout the ages, the church's function is to be a testimony and a witness. We are to burn brightly in the darkness. We are, to, we, are, we are to be present as a testimony, a living, shining testimony of the life of Jesus Christ. That our life is supplied to us by the Holy Spirit, and we are to, we are to radiate. We are to give light and life and heat and warmth. We are to express the nature of God, and we are to do so in an unchanging way. That doesn't mean we don't change our paint or our carpet every once in a while. That just means that we do, We our mission, I want to say this without intensifying my voice too much, our mission is not to accommodate, appease, to, or to beg people to be a part of the church. We are on an assignment. This is not ours, it's His. And our job is to burn brightly. This one who's among these lampstands, it says that he walks among them. He chooses to be present with the church. I, I said it last week, but it bears mention again. There are sweet, wonderful believers who have bought into the idea that, hey, I can just be a Jesus lover and just not go to church. I'm not saying that that's not true, but I'm saying that the Bible says he's among the lampstands. He has a value and an interest in the church. He walks among us. He is here. We are not alone. This one who walks among the lampstands says this. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you have found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. The first thing that Jesus says to the church And I pray the Lord help me to communicate it adequately. The first thing he says is, I know you. This one, this matchless one, this ancient of days, this glorious one says to the church. He wants us to know that he he knows us. He sees us. We have said that he is near. We have said that he is among us. But this is more than just being present. It is knowing. It is seeing. It is observing us. The verb is in the, the perfect tense. And, and in the Greek, that just means that something has it happened in the it, it's happened historically. And it and it it is it, it has happened perfectly And it remains complete. That means he he knows us and he's never not known us. His knowledge of us is perfect and complete. And he remains. His eyes are still staring right at you. He knows us. He says he knows their deeds, their toil, and their perseverance. Simply put, he knows what you do, friends. You ever wonder, I wonder if anybody knows what I do. He does. He does. He knows what you do. Furthermore, he knows how hard you work at it. He knows. And he even sees, this word perseverance conveys the idea, he even sees that you have a good and hopeful attitude while you do it. Good for you. Jesus sees what you do. He sees how hard you would do it, and he knows the attitude that you're doing it with. And the scripture says he sees it, and he appreciates it. That's good. He knows that the church at Ephesus has no tolerance for evil men. New American Standard says no tolerance. The church does not tolerate evil behavior in their midst. Apparently, no one told them that they were supposed to be more tolerant. Because Jesus sees that they're not tolerant of evil, and he commends them for it. He's a boss talking. See, I know we want to, we're Americans, we want to negotiate everything, don't we? We want to negotiate everything, but this is the boss talking. He knows and appreciates that they test those who claim to be apostles but are not. Uh, The idea is that there are people that would travel around and make false claims about themselves, false prophets, false apostles, and teachers, basically claims that people had a certain office or an authority, and they come to the church, and the church says, hang on just a minute, Jack." They examined examined their claims against the testimony of Christ and the scriptures and their own discernment. And they said, not so much. Off you pop. People can claim any title they want. They claim a lot of titles on social media too. But the church remains responsible to test them. And Jesus sees and appreciates that this is the boss talking then verse 4 Jesus says but i have this against you you that you have left your first love therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else i am coming to you, and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. This is after the finished work. This is after the the blood of Christ has already been applied. Whoa, we 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 need to under we need to understand. I think try to or try to understand what. This means before we try to apply it. Whatever the Lord means by this concern, it is serious. It outweighs the things he has already commended them for. It is serious enough for him to require their immediate repentance. It is serious enough that he will remove their lampstand over it. Yes, he will remove his own lampstand. Listen, church, we'll just say it one more time tenderly. The church belongs to him. We are not our own, and we do not exist at our own discretion. Furthermore, Jesus Christ is no beggar. The gospel is a command. He's not holding out on a sign out on the streets, you know, Begging for converts. He's no beggar. It is a privilege to be his lampstand. We are not doing him a favor. We are not doing Jesus a favor. We are living by and from his favor. And the existence of the church hangs on this one thing, not our strategy, not our vision, not our mission, not our budget, although we need that, although not our budget, not our organization, not even our doctrinal perfection. The existence of the church hangs on one thing, our love for him. What is the complaint here? You have left your first love. You have left your first love. I think in some versions it might say lost. But that invi- that in that 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 sounds like Winnie the Pooh who can't find his honey. It's not like we're oh bother where did I put my first love can't can't find it the word left is a much stronger word than lost if you lost something I you know I'm like oh nuts where's the last place you left it and you feel bad and I feel bad and then you have to call your wife and she says it's right in front of you That happens. <laughs> not here or anywhere. Oh, right there. But the word left means divorced, abandoned, not lost track of accidentally, you forsook it. You have left your first love. Remember, all the churches are reading this. It would be a mistake for the six other churches to go, ooh, Ephesus is busted. <laughs> <laughs> you have left your first love. First, first love. First love. Commentators aren't unanimous on what they have decided that that means some say love it's the church's love for god others want to press the matter and say it it must mean their love for one another other others others uh, who probably are writing for their agendas Say, no, no, it means love for the lost, love for evangelism, love for the other people at Ephesus. But we gotta come back to this word, this tricky word first. It's funny, I, I was I was sharing this with Mrs. Dav over the kitchen island and I was telling her, you know, babe some say this, some say that, and she scowled at me and she said, Yeah, but it said first. I thought She hasn't spent a whole lot of time in the halls of theological academia, but she seemed to pick it up right away. She looked at me a bit confused, like, what the beans are they talking about? Says first. Well, I guess it's it's right there. First. The first and greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Yes, we are to love one another as Christ loved us. But if we say that love for one another is first, then we have made idols out of one another. And of course, we are to love the unsaved and the unchurched and everybody else. But to love anything... Or any one more than Christ is to reduce Christ to less than Lord, and that is Antichrist. Look at that, second chapter, and already talking about Antichrist. <laughs> first and last time we'll bring that up. All right, our first love is our unequaled love for the lord jesus christ and they had left theirs wait a minute. what does that mean how how can they be doing right things but missed the one thing added to this list of right things they were doing he kind of he kind of gives them the management management sandwich there. Good job, good job. Not so much. Good job, right? Uh, in verse 6, he says, yet this you, you do have. You got this going for you. And and this is more important because every, every he addresses this, this idea with, with many of the churches. He said, you hate the deeds of the Nicol, Nic, Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in the weeks ahead, about who this group was. But essentially... This is a group of people that promoted licentious behavior that said that that claimed that being spiritual made it okay to be carnal. Ephesus. (laughs) This is strong language. Are you ready? Ephesus hated that. So does Jesus. Why Jesus hate stuff? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. You heard it right. You heard it here, folks. Jesus hates sin. God? Facebook Jesus doesn't. Right, I know. I I, I know. But Bible Jesus does. But even being against bad things isn't enough. It does not equate to loving most what is utmost. See, the lampstand can be polished. The lampstand can be put together and tight. The lampstand could have no squeaks. Mrs. Dabb, she bought a little lampstand for the, for the house, and it was one of them, like, you know, medieval type things, and it was all wibbly and wobbly. And she said, I don't know what's wrong with that thing. It just needed to be twisted and tightened. And so the, every once in a while I can fix something. And so I, I fixed it. And so now, now it doesn't wibble or wobble. It's a very tight, good lampstand. It's got no fire. We never light the candle. So it's a worthless lampstand. <laughs> but it is by the front door, so I pick it up sometimes and just answer the door and say, walk this way. <laughs> <laughs> The lampstand can be polished and put together but have no flame. They did all the things right. Good job, good job, good job, no flame. It is important, friends, I believe it is important that we not hear Jesus as some sort of drill instructor. He is not marching into the, the barracks at Ephesus saying, Yep, good job, your, your boots are polished, but you've got some dust under your bunk. Drop and give me 20. Jesus is saying, though, that without love for him being our first, greatest, and highest motivation, that nothing else matters. we have not love, then we are just a clanging cymbal and a noisy gong. Therefore, return to love. Come on, say it out loud with me, please. Return to love. What does that mean? Well, I was I was meditating on what this meant. Return to your first love. I was meditating. I was, I was, I, I, I was praying and thinking and, and writing. I was trying to think, how can I explain... How can I describe, how can I provide the recipe? What does it mean, return to love? They're doing this right, they're doing that right. And he says, do that, you know, but return to your love. And boy, I thought, Lord, am I making this too complicated? Perhaps this is not a complicated command. I came in the house, the answer, I believe, came to me pretty clearly. I came in the house last week. Kids were home, I don't know where I was, doesn't matter. I came home, and I walked through the house, and I could hear upstairs a little bit of shouting and some clapping. And I went and talked to Emily Rose, and she was in the kitchen, and she and I were starting to get into engaging in conversation, but then there was another shout and another couple of claps from upstairs. And we were talking about whatever, but in the middle of it, Emily just paused and said, Oh, Mom's worshiping. And I stopped. I said, That's it. Just that. Just raw delight in Jesus. Mom wasn't at church, it wasn't singing time. There was no one else with her but he who walks among the lampstands. Say, well, what, what was mom getting ready for? It? Nothing. Mom was just <laughs> worshiping. Everything flows from love. Would you say that, please, with me? Everything flows from love. Three times in John chapter 21, as he reinstates Peter as an apostle, Jesus asks him this question Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The woman in Luke chapter 7 wet Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair and anointed his feet with perfume. And while the Pharisee with them was repulsed by such extravagance, Jesus commended her for her love. In Matthew 26, Mary breaks open an alabaster box of expensive perfume and pours it over Jesus' head. And the fragrance of her devotion filled the house. And the disciples were indignant. Calling such lavish love a waste. Did you waste? That's a waste, they said. It's it's not practical. They literal their complaint about that expression of affection was it wasn't, wasn't practical. Couldn't measure it. Didn't do anything. How soon does it appear possible for those who claim Christ to demote love and insist we give pride of place to more practical matters. The church begins to become an institution and an organization instead of a lampstand. We exist or we do things for the church, of the church, with the church, instead of unto Him, for Him, by Him. <laughs> We must see, my friends, that love is the fountainhead. Love is the catalyst. Love is the cause. Love is the cause of heaven. Love must therefore be the cause of the church, or we cease to become the beloved, and we just become the occupants, the employees. Love is the only response... To love. Now, on a practical level, a church who puts love for Christ first, a church who loves Christ, who lives unto Him first, that church is unstoppable. That church is generous and sacrificial and tireless. A church who loves Him first is radical and they are happy. Like Jacob who labored seven years with patient joy for Rachel. Solomon said, many waters cannot quench love. uh, uh, Rivers cannot overflow it. It is as strong as death. Paul wrote, love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. No revival was ever characterized by a strategy or a program or a catchphrase or a hashtag hashtag pound sign you put it in front of things to mean the thing you just said it makes a lot of sense You say thing, and then you put a pound sign, and then say something else about the thing. No revival was ever characterized by anything else than an awakening to love and a forsaking of all loves but one. A loveless church can be busy, a loveless church can be tidy, a loveless church can be clean, a loveless church can be correct. But it will become dead. There is no light as bright as love. There is no fire as warm and there is no lamp as radiant as love but beyond the practical benefit beyond the the power of flowing in and in and from love beyond what's in it for us it's not just practical it's necessary would you all say necessary because Jesus will not accept anything other than a church who loves him first and most do we hear this friends the first Concern addressed by our Lord is love. How are they to respond? The Lord says, Remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless. You repent. The first thing Jesus says is remember from where they've fallen. He actually sees loss of love as a fallen state. And he wants them to stop and remember the love that they once expressed and enjoyed. Then he says, repent. Yes, repent for leaving that place and settling for something less. Take this seriously. It's not quaint. And then he says, return. Do the deeds you did at first. In other words, love is a verb. Say it with me out loud, please. Love is a, verb. Love is a choice. Love is not moved by our mood. I've Got good news for you. You don't have to feel like it. Love is not moved by your mood. Please hear this. Love is a gift of the will. Love is a gift of the will. If love were simply a mood, it would be meaningless. If it were simply a response to to the chemicals that are awash in your brain, it doesn't mean anything. But love is a gift of the will. We can choose to love him first and most. And he insists that we do. Or Christ will remove the lampstand. The church will cease to exist. Either the church will just decline and decay because of its lovelessness, or Christ will withdraw the very spirit that gives life to the church. He phrases it, it's phrased in the text as something that he will initiate unless the church repents, unless the church returns to love. Therefore, let he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Christ's first concern is our first love. can I just can't get over it I I, I I want to be careful of my time but I, I just can't get over the, the the what if you were going to ask me or ask a room full of people say what do you what do you suppose Jesus is going to want to talk to us about we'd go through all kinds of things I imagine from from uh doctrinal nuances to song choice but from Christ's first concern is our first love. If anything else has your attention, if anything else has eclipsed your first love, Jesus said it best, remember from where you have fallen, repent and return to it. The greatest thing that we can do this morning is just make an individual and shared commitment recommitment as a gift of our own will to love him first and most. The third the first thing that he had to say to the church at Ephesus and what he wants the church everywhere and in every age to hear is this: return to love. love Christ first and most for our own sake, for the sake of the one who loves us first. and Finally, the scripture promises this. If we overcome, if we triumph in this, if we will love Him and prioritize our love for Him all the way to the finish line, then we will feast on eternal life in the presence of God. Oh my, rejoice. Just stand. Take joy, my King, in what you Have Aaron and Meg lead us again in that chorus but let me just pray for you before we close Father in heaven we thank you for these words of admonishment and invitation from the Lord Jesus we thank you Lord that what the, the passion of heaven reaches out and calls for a response from our hearts Lord that among everything all of the polish and perfection and organization and everything that we pay attention to Lord your priority is our first love So, Lord, I pray that by the anointing of your Spirit, you would give us grace today to choose, Lord, to pour out affection upon you tirelessly. Lord, to never reduce the expression of love as something that is impractical or lavish or a waste. But, Lord, that we would see it as the greatest of our expressions, the greatest of things that we are to do, the greatest of things we can be as the lampstands of Christ. The lampstand, the church, Lord, is to burn hot and bright with our love for you. Lord, we pour out that affection upon you today. Receive it, Lord, as a gift, we pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Aaron, lead that again. Sing your friend. Sing, I love you, Lord.